Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, a podcast where fabric enthusiasts and DIY gurus discuss all things make your own gear, with the occasional poor attempt at comedy to keep it interesting. I'm Kyle Baker, the owner and founder of Ripstop by the Roll, and we're excited to have you listening. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Ripstop on the Record. This is episode 44, and I want to start out with a little riddle for you all, okay, which is... Sweet. Good. You're close. Um... Okay. What is supposed to be sharp, but normally isn't, gets used a lot, but changed not enough? Needle. My humor. It's katanas. <laughs> First answer, correct. Needle, which is sort of my way of segu- uh, segueing the episode. Today we are re-airing episode 11 with Aaron from Capital Sewing Quilt talking about sewing machine maintenance and technology and upgrades and things like that. So... If you already listened to this one, listen again because he says some super important stuff. And if you've never listened to it before, then congrats because you're going to learn a thing or two. But check in for more sewing machine tips and things like that. As for some industry updates and things... Tip of the week. Thanks, Isaac. My tip of the week is for you to listen to this episode. Yeah. Is that Wait, is that yours? You have three or four banked tips of the week now. Yeah, that was one of them. Listen to this episode. Okay, so I still have mine for the week. Okay, cool. Uh, as for some industry updates, what do we have? Uh, yeah, so recently I was like on Instagram just scrolling, as you do, and this company called Fish Ski Designs popped up, and it's somebody that graduated from Utah State uh, Outdoor Product Development and Design School, which is like the place that I almost went back Hardest before name I, ever. <laughs> yeah. Before I started working at Ripstop, I got in and almost moved to Utah, but came here instead. Uh, but it, so it's really cool to see like those people working with the stuff that from the company that I work for. So Fish Ski Designs makes like bike bags and stuff like that. So I bought this thing that's like a, it goes uh, near your stem and it holds four beers and it like goes over the top tube of your bike. And I just thought it was super rad and it has like purple X pack and, all kinds of stuff. So, uh, shout out to them, uh, making some really cool stuff and I'll probably buy more except for everything sold out in like five seconds. So if you want to get something, you got to get there fast. It's like the, the melding of two of our favorite things, bikes and beer, but then also shout out to Utah state people like Tanner, one of our maker sponsors also out there. And, uh, yeah, you guys are doing some really cool stuff. Also, can you get a DUI, uh, riding your bicycle? I think you can (laughs) technically, but you can't, you can Yes. You would have to be drunk. No, I mean, I'm pretty, sure, pretty sure if you have an open container, you can get, and you're riding on a road. Well, they're not open. They're it's not yet like to carry it. <laughs> Clarification: These are closed beers being carried in the fishkey bag. Yeah, yeah, they're closed beers. So, yeah. like, instead of having to have like a cooler or something that you strap to the yeah. back of your bike, it's like a convenient place to hold them that also is like near the center of gravity, so it's it functional carries them too. better. Um, and some of them are insulated. Which is also gotcha. really cool. Um, yes, I do not. I'm not endorsing, nor do I believe that Fish Ski Designs uh, is endorsing popping four of those beers at once and trying to drink them while riding your bike. Don't do that. <laughs> it's probably illegal and unsafe. Maybe fun, but not good. Don't do it. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, also, after 43 long episodes, Avery's finally recording in person with us. I made it. You're what here. Up? I have arrived. Uh, fully in studio. We have all this rad gear. It was a really long drive. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I walked here. <laughs> uh, 
Also, so as a lot of you have know, known for a while, we've been uh, talking about trail dates quite a bit, and we have some uh, spotlight gear. So if you didn't make it to the event itself, then now you get to see some of this gear in our studio here, like this prototype from Almonds Right, uh, which is made out of UVX40 and some Monolite and some uh, DCF as well. A lot of cool stuff. This uh, custom printed cutaway from Nashville Pack, this brand new designed uh, move, ultralight movement pack from SWD, as well as some other things. Um, so Trailblaze was a huge success. Thanks to, every, uh, to everyone that came out and saw us at the booth. And thanks to these great companies for uh, sharing some of your gear with us. Yeah. Speaking of Trailblaze, uh, industry news kind of, we got the opportunity to look at the Osmo tent from Nemo. Oh, yeah. And, it was really uh, cool. Yeah, it's really cool. There's like two different variants, right? Like a heavier one and then like a... It was like their Elite version, which is like a 10D or something, 15D, yeah. and then there's like the 20D. Yeah. I really liked the color of the like olive one, Yeah, like the regular Osmo. Yeah. It was it just looked really cool. The ripstop was sweet, but yeah. Tip Next tip of the week. Tip of the week. Oh, that tip was of the week. The week. All of the tips of the week at once. All the tips. Um, go to Trail Days next year. That's yeah. a tip. If you want to further your DIY knowledge, it's also a really cool place to see things in person. And Not, take your bike. And take your bike, for sure. Yeah. Speaking of uh, new products and things, we have a new product coming out. Uh, we want to just plug the Venom Ultralight Stretch Mesh that came out a couple weeks ago now. But that is a 5.3-ounce UHMWPE or 5-ounce UHMWPE uh, four-way stretch pack mesh. It's really awesome. It was featured on the Red Pod pack that was given away at Trail Days. Um, and you can see some in-use photos of that pack on our product page now, but that one is live. Uh, but the new product coming out is CSM Polyester. Now, products team, most people don't know what CSM Polyester stands for or means or what it would be used for. Uh, give us the elevator pitch. Well, I can say this on the podcast because it won't be on the product page, but it's formerly Hypalon. So What's Hypalon? Maybe more people know what that is. But basically, it's like a rubberized uh, synthetic material that's really thick that people use for like the bottom of bags. You probably see it a lot in like EDC gear and even backpacks that you would just see in most stores. Um, people also make like zipper hoods out of it and zipper pulls. And so we're going to also do some of those things like some different like CNC cut zipper pulls and, and stuff like that. Um, but it's a it's an awesome reinforcement material and it, it looks really nice for places where you want to add like a little bit of an accent. Features include non-skid, high temperature or high heat tolerability, uh, high chemical like or chemical resistant, uh, super waterproof, super, super waterproof, super abrasion resistant, and obviously incredibly heavy if you put all those things together. But Really cool accessory fabric. CSM also stands for something like chlorosulfonated monolate something. <clears throat> Chlorosulfonated polyethylene. Hey, I was close. Monolith. I, I had to pull it up. Yeah. And finally, we just put DCF on the website, so hopefully when you're listening to this, there's still more available. However, uh, it's being released the day that this podcast is released, so on Wednesday, May 25th, Depending on when you're listening to this, it may be gone. But we are rooting for you, and they're working to get a lot more out uh, very soon. So we'll get recurring shipments. So go and check it out. That is the 1.0 DCF and the 1.43. So hopefully you get some. On to the pod. Joining us is Aaron. He is the manager of Capital Sew and Quilt. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. 
I'm excited. Aaron, tell us a little bit about Capital So and Quit while you ha- while we have you here. Well, we're a, we're a dealership. Uh, you walk in the front door, and um, you know we start our service immediately. We you know we're we're um, we're a service center for sewing machines, but we're also an education center, and um, and and a sales uh, a sales center for top of the line and pretty pretty incredible machines. I love that. One of the, the first things you mentioned right away is, is an education center for people. That is so much a part of what we do and why we're really excited to have you here because we want to give just a little bit of education to those people at home with their sewing machines on how to use their machines and what to do with them. But first, how did you get into this job? I mean, it's not a, it's maybe not something that a lot of people have heard of. So I'm third generation. My dad has a sewing machine store and my grandpa had a sewing machine store and my grandpa had a sewing machine store before him. And uh, they just kind of passed the knowledge down. And I, um, gosh, I, I mean, we were a sewing machine and vacuum store. So I actually started as a, as a vacuum technician when I was about, I don't know, 10 years old and uh, just kind of worked into sewing machines and, and just grew up around it. And uh, here I am 21 years later. That's awesome. That's so cool. So it was largely something that you were around from a very early age. Yeah, definitely. Yep. I've, I've seen, um, I've seen a lot of sewing machines. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So all of your knowledge, like you said, has just come from being immersed in it in your everyday life. That's how you became a pro. Right, right. Exactly. But I mean, I've also been through, um, you know, brother, uh, well, Brothers is one of the uh, brands that we sell, but I've been through technical trainings uh, as well. But the majority of the knowledge that I that I have is it was all passed down, um, you know, just passed down through through my dad and and uh, and uh, some YouTube. You know, YouTube's great. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, what um, machine do you work with personally? Is it one certain type or brand, um, or do you work with uh, many different types of machines? Um, we're, we're pretty much home machines. Um, you know, I sell uh, brother brand, uh, Elna brand and, uh, Juki, uh, Juki is like a longstanding commercial. You guys, you, you guys probably are familiar with the, the Juki. Um, I saw on your website, some, some, uh, industrial looking machines. I don't, I couldn't tell the brand. It was kind of a side profile, but, um, but yeah, the, the Juki is gosh, they're, they're, uh, they're an old industrial um, an industrial company with some really, really, really nice products. Yeah. We, um, often have people like tag us some pictures of their sewing machines and ask questions and there's resources online as well, like Reddit and Juki is probably like the top two uh, mentions of sewing machines. It's gotten really popular and even more so with people making their own gear just because of how industrial it is and what it can handle as far as sewing. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. They have a really good reputation for that. And there's a, there's a following for them called like the Juki junkies. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're definitely, um, they're definitely very popular, but so is brother. I mean, brother's got some technology that would blow your mind if you saw it. <laughs> cameras, literally there's uh, cameras built into their machines now uh, when you're, so when you're, when you're doing embroidery logos and stuff like that, you can, you can scan in your fabric and see it on the screen and almost get like a print preview. You can see an embroidered design on fabric before you stitch it out. Projectors that are project designs and stitches down onto the fabric while you're stitching. Um, it's, it's absolutely crazy. You, coming from, you know, old, old singers and Kenmore's and, and old white machines and stuff like that to, to now it's, you wouldn't have believed it 20 years ago. That is so cool, man. You're, you're giving us the extra deep dive that we don't even get on our, on our side normally. That is so awesome. As somebody that looks at machines frequently, you could say, 
um, for somebody looking to buy one, we have a lot of beginners, people are getting into DIY. What are some features that you would tell somebody just like, hey, these are things that you want to look for in a machine that you're looking to buy? Well, it, it really depends on your budget. Um, you know, some people are only are going to be working with, you know, the $100, $200 budget. Some, some can be in the thousands. In the entry level, in the very entry level, you want to keep it simple because a lot of machines it, it, in the $100 to $200 price range, you're either going to get technology or you're going to get metal. Um, and I don't think you're going to get a good mixture of both until you get to about the four to $500 range in a sewing machine. So in entry level, keep it simple, not a whole lot of bells and whistles. If you want a, a machine that's going to work long-term and, and be able to sew through, through, through some thicker items. So digging out even a little bit more, if you're able there, you said you can either have technology or you can have metal. Uh, would you just expand on that a little bit, a little bit further? Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. So the, the machines that we sell, uh, I'll take Brother, for example. Brother's done a really good job because they have been able to keep a $100 machine on the shelf, accessible to somebody who has a limited budget. Let's take it back 30 years ago. Uh, a good home sewing machine, which is going to be simple in technology, was about 300 bucks. I mean, for a good solid machine that was nice metal, is going to last you 20 years, it's about a $300 machine. Now, fast forward 30 years, and you think about the, 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 the way things have gone up in price, how do you keep a machine in, in a hundred dollar price range? You got it. You got to sacrifice on some of the more expensive materials, the metals and things like that. So, um, you, you pretty much, um, you're going to get a lot of plastic in the hundred dollar range is, is kind of what I'm getting at here without, without trying to sound discouraging to it because they're good machines. Uh, you just gotta, you, you just can't maybe go through the thick layers and stuff with them as much in the entry level. That's kind of what I'm, what I'm getting at there. Does that make sense? Definitely. No, I think that helps clear it up. And I like what you said in terms of that doesn't necessarily make it uh, a poor machine. It just depends on where you're ranging, wh what your range is and what you're looking for. Exactly. Exactly. Um, because, you know, it, it just depends on what you're going to be doing with it. If you're going to be sewing lightweight fabrics and stuff like that and kind of just keeping it simple, those, those entry level machines are going to be great. So what are some features of a machine that you would might advise people to stay away from, if any? Hmm. To features to stay away from. That's tough because my job literally is to show you features that you're going to love, right? So I'm a, I'm a salesperson at heart. So, so I, when I look at a sewing machine, I, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm wondering what you do and what feature I can show you that's going to just kind of make you say, "Wow, I want that machine." Some gimmicky things, anything gimmicky. So Brother Mita, and I, I don't, I love Brother. So let me just preface this by saying I love Brother. But they, they made a uh, this like this cartridge machine where you could put your thread into a cartridge and then slide the cartridge down and it essentially bypassed the normal threading of the sewing machine, but it was gimmicky and it didn't last very long. So anything gimmicky that, 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 um, that, that just seems a little too good to be true. I would, I would kind of maybe stay away from. Well, that makes sense. One question we get a lot from people is they did start off with the hundred, $200 machine and they're looking to upgrade and they don't know if they should upgrade to like a heavy duty or something more in the juky range. So what is a piece of advice that you could give to people who are looking to upgrade and don't know if it would be worth it or what to upgrade to? Okay. Yeah, fair. Um, well, I'm going to sound biased here, but you know, as a dealer, I think you should go to a, you know, you should go to a local sewing machine dealer. Um, somebody who's been in the business for a while and has gone through their fair share of machines. Um, so as you know, we're a family owned business and we like to develop relationships. So we have gone through and, and made sure that we're, we're going to sell you a product that you're going to love. It, it might not be as cheap as some other places, 
Um, but, you know, we've made sure that it's going to last and we've tested them. And, and so when you're going to upgrade, go to a local dealer somewhere you can sew on their machines right there on, you know, in the store. Uh, we actually encourage people to bring fabrics in. Uh, please we sit down at our machines, test them out. I can show you the, I can run you through the gamut of sewing machines. So that's, that's my, that's my advice is to go to a, to a local dealer. That's great advice. I actually didn't know that you could test drive a sewing machine like that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Come on down. <laughs> that is a, that's a really good example, a really good point. I think a lot of people would understand in our realm, maybe like a pair of hiking boots or, or, or running shoes that they, you're going to want to wear before you try. And a lot of people that, that buy what we sell here, if some of the role are people that are sewing weekly or daily even, right? And you're using something right. that much, you probably want to get a really, really good feel for what it is and how it's going to work first. Definitely. You, you want to like the feel of it, you know, if it feels clunky, if, it, if you don't like looking at it for, you know, hours upon hours a day, you might not, you, <laughs> might, you know, you definitely want to try it out before you buy it. And we, you know, a local dealer will offer that. Um, as well as warranty stuff, you know, if, if your machine breaks down, you want to have someone that is going to be accountable for it. You know, you don't want to have to box it up and ship it back to a, to a large company. Um, when you, when you buy local, when you buy through a dealer like us, um, we have an onsite service center. So if you have a problem, uh, we're going to take care of it. That is a, that's a great point. Not one that I've honestly thought of too much either. So one thing that we see a lot with our users a ton of people have these old 1950s, these full metal, these older machines. This thing that just mm-hmm. came to my mind, what is it about those machines that, that make them so durable, make them so loved? I, mean, I can't tell you how many people have been like, oh, you know what? I've bought new machines, but let me tell you, the one that my grandmother passed down, that's the one that I use all the time. <laughs> I don't know. It's, <laughs> I mean, the answer is definitely just the materials, the t- materials that it was made in the simplicity. Uh, there was so much metal, I mean, it was steel that they were using and, and stuff like that before the lightweight uh, aluminums. Um, and because of how heavy duty and heavy that they were, they were made, they had a certain feel to them too. I, um, it's a little off, off topic, but you know, I ride motorcycles and uh, I like the feeling of that, of that metal Harley Davidson. And, and, and I don't know if it's the same way with uh, these, these sewers, they just enjoy this old kind of nostalgic feeling, but there's something to those. Those will always have a place in my heart. I love the new technologies, but man, the old machines were, uh, were, were really cool. They were, they're what I learned to uh, repair and so on. So good stuff. I, I like those old machines. Would you say that the older ones are also easier to repair because of all that, that steel and, and the, the more dense metals that they have? Um, yeah, they're going to be simpler. There's going to be uh, consistently less wrong with them because there's not a lot to go wrong, right? So with new features comes the potential for things to, to go awry, you know, the nicer machines that you get. So I know I've got machines that start like kind of the five to $600 range and go all the way to $20,000, right? And you don't want to spend a ton of money on something and just have it, having it you know, break down on you. So they're, they're made very reliable. I don't want to say that they're not, but the, uh, the new machines. But the older machines just didn't have as much to go wrong, right? So, I mean, typically you're going to expect lower repair bills with an older machine. Interesting. A lot of people, um, typically from my experience, seem to be a little scared of the older machines. I think maybe because, you know, it's probably the technology uh generation where like there's always a new iphone there's always a new model of a macbook so they're like oh it's if it's newer it's better but i that's not necessarily true correct yeah no it's it's it, you get people in two camps you get the people i don't want that new computerized machine or and then you get the people that are like i really love these new features and we could do an entire session on just you know <laughs> new sewing machine features 
because there really are some incredible things. You know, one-handed needle threaders, not something that you have to really, really be actively involved in to even focus on threading the needle. It's just so just push-button needle threaders. And uh, a big difference between old machines and new machines, something that you would want to look out for when you're buying a new machine is uh, the feed dogs. The ripstop fabric can be a little slick. For some of the older feed dog systems, they had some of them were rubber. Some of them had very short little spikes on them. The new machines are going to have a diamond cut, uh, uh, and brother anyway, they're going to have a diamond cut seven-point feed dog system. That's going to allow them to feed things a little bit more uh, accurately and, and, and keep things from slipping as much. Where the older machines had like a three-point feed dog system. So if you, if you lifted the foot and looked at them, there's only three points of contact on some of these older machines where it would actually be pulling the fabric through. And is that something that you could replace in an older machine and upgrade? You can't upgrade. I can I can put new ones in, and they, and it might add a little bit of sharpness, but um, but not not something that you can upgrade. No. Okay. You can it. upgrade. It's just it's going to be the new machine. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be the new machine upgrade. No, that makes sense. I didn't know if you could just replace the piece of the feed dogs to, um, like you said, something more similar to the seven point versus the three point that you were mentioning that the older the older machines um have. Yeah. Well, then you would have to replace the the needle plate too. Because you've got mm. the, you know, you've got the feed coming up through the plate. So the feed would have, the feed dogs would have to match the new needle plate. And, and so, so far, nobody's come up with an upgrade. Hey, you know, for anyone listening, that might be a good idea. <laughs> come up with a, uh, <laughs> if you've got a CNC machine, maybe you could come up with an upgrade kit for, uh, for the old sewing machine. <laughs> I think, I think that's a great challenge for people because especially in sewing and working <laughs> with textiles, people a lot of people don't like to just like throw away things. They want to make it better and figure out a way to make this old machine work even in 2021. So even though it's been maybe 70 right. years that the machine came out, but I think there's still a time and a place for every machine, obviously. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What are some common problems that you see in machines or the most common problems that you see? Well, the most common problems that we see are generally a lot of user error. Uh, a lot of threading. We help people out. If, if somebody brings a machine in and, and they're just like, what's going on with our machine? And I see that their needle's in backwards. I'm going to turn their needle around and I'm going to say, that's what was wrong. And, and you know, no charge. <laughs> that's a lot of what we see is, is a lot of people, you know, they'll, they'll either have their needle in backwards or, or their thread won't be in the take up lever, um, which is a very, very common issue if your thread is bunging to the back. I use an acronym, TNT. If, you're, if your machine is, is messing up, it's, it's TNT. It's threading or thread needle and, and, and tension. Those three things, check those three things before you do anything else. Keep it simple. That is a fantastic acronym. And I think one that a lot of people will, will identify with and appreciate that are listening for sure. So to that end of the question that Avery asked with problems that you see, are there ways that, that people could take better care of their machines? Or as somebody that sees machines on a daily basis, you know, like I said, like yourself, what are people not doing? Is it, is it cleaning? Is it dusting? Is it replacing the needle? You know, how can we take better care of the ones that we have at home? Yeah, um, changing your needles more often, that's going to make sure that you're stitching, that you're actually, your seams look better. Making sure that you're matching the needle point to the fabric that you're using is very important. Cleaning your machines, definitely, depending on whether you have a vertical, uh, more industrial bobbin system or a horizontal bobbin system or an oscillating bobbin system, you, you want to be removing those bobbin cases, getting behind there with lint brushes. I don't recommend using canned air unless you know what you're doing with it, because what you can do with canned air is kind of 
blow the dust back into the machine. And a lot of our machines now are so difficult to get apart, you can't get that stuff back out and it kind of will get in between teeth of, of gears and it'll get in places that it doesn't need to be. So anytime you can brush or vacuum the dust out of your machine, you're going to be better off than if you use canned air. I see. That makes a lot of sense. So I think just to reiterate for those, anybody listening, it, it's kind of like a removal of that dust instead of just dispersing it in the machine. <laughs> right, right. And when we do it, we actually pull all the covers off. So of course I have a big air compressor back here. It saves me money, I'm, I'm, you know, and buying little canned air uh, cans and stuff, but I have a, um, but when I, when I take all the covers off, there's nowhere for this dust to go, but out. Right. So I, mm-hmm. I blow them out uh, in the back, but if you don't have your machine taken apart like that, you're, you're, you're just going to blow the dust back into the gears and into the, the mechanism of the machine. So I, I, I would recommend to use, you know, like a vacuum cleaner or just a little paintbrush or something to, to get the dust out. Sure. That makes a, that makes a ton of sense. One of the most common questions we get maybe, maybe weekly is just, hey, what needle and thread should I use with this fabric? We've put different guides out there for different fabrics, but is there a way that you think of your own side or what you tell people and kind of a, a, a method or, or template system for being like, hey, this is the needle and thread you want to use for this weight, for this weight. What do you what do you recommend to people for that? I knew you were going to ask me this. <laughs> um, okay. This is something that, you know, as I don't do a lot of sewing, right? I'm, I'm more on the machine end. I have I have employees here that, that, could, that, that could just talk to you all day about this. Um, so, but my, my recommendation, and I guess my, all the packs of needles on my wall, if you look at the back of them, it says, oh, it's for this fabric. And, and so that's a, a helpful guide that most of them are going to, um, you know, most of them are gonna, our needles are going to tell you what they're for. Um, the larger the number, uh, the larger the eye of the needle. And so that can, it can kind of accommodate a, a thicker thread. Uh, a mistake a lot of people make is that just because they're going through something thick, they tend to use a needle that's too large, pokes too big of a hole. And uh, actually, I know this might sound crazy, but a needle's supposed to break when it's, when it's dull. It, it, it's the thing that's supposed to break, right? If you use a needle that's so large that it can't break and you have like kind of a more entry level machine, it's actually gonna be harder on your machine than if you were to just use a smaller needle. That's really interesting. Does that make sense? I think, so I'm gonna reiterate that just to make sure I understand and everybody else gets it. Uh, you, in a way you want the needle to break so that it's not, you're not driving something that's not supposed to fit through your, through your machine. Is that right? Right. Right. Cause if you get this big, thick, like finishing nail of a needle that you're using, you know, just trying to go through some denim and that tip dulls, not only are you not going to be getting the best stitch that you could because you got a dull needle, but then it's, you know, you're, you know, it's not breaking because it's so huge. <laughs> and so you're pushing this dull needle through the fabric, putting extra wear and tear on your machine. I know it doesn't seem like much, but over a long term, it can actually kind of wear your machine out a little bit. I see. That's super interesting. Yeah, I definitely haven't thought of that that way before or thought of that specifically. So that's that's really helpful to know. That also kind of makes me feel a little bit good. At one point, I was in quarantine. I was doing a lot of sewing and I snapped like two needles that week. And I guess in a way that I, in the, at the time I was thinking like, oh man, like I'm doing something wrong. I just keep snapping needles left and right. I was definitely doing something wrong, but also maybe that wasn't as bad as it could have been if I was using a massive needle. Right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Now, something that was, um, that actually one of, uh, one of my employees told me today, and I didn't realize this, but you know, the size of your needle can make a difference on synthetics. So on, on ripstop, you're going to want to use something really sharp and, and a little smaller. Like you don't want to go past like a 75, 11, maybe an 80 or something like that, because I, I guess the synthetic fabrics don't heal like, like a cotton fabric would. So when you puncture a hole through a cotton, that eventually that hole will actually kind of heal a little bit. The, the fibers will kind of relax and kind of fill in the gap that you just made. 
um, where it's not so much on synthetic fabrics. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I didn't even know that. When, uh, we were just um, kind of having a conversation about that before uh, before I got on this call with you guys. I think that's a great piece of advice. And I think that's one thing that we try to recommend to people. I think the Smetch Microtex needle, something really sharp. But I actually have a two-parted question for you going off of that. Um, one, how do you know when to replace your needle? And then two, do you have a rule of thumb of how often you should be cleaning and dusting your machine? Um, well, first let me start with, yes, the Microtech Schmetz, that's exactly what you need to use. So that, that was perfect. That was um, for, especially for those uh, synthetics and nylon fabrics and stuff. So as far as when to change your needle, there's not like a hard and fast rule because, you know, it just, there's a lot of different factors as to, you know, it, what, what dulls a needle and what, what um, warrants replacing it. But on some fabrics, it'll be as simple as you're just sewing along and you'll start to hear a popping sound. It doesn't sound like it's, it's not, it's not just piercing the fabric cleanly. You'll start to hear it being around it. You know, I can almost hear it from across the room now, but um, when a needle needs to be changed or when, when a machine's about to start messing up. Yeah. So sometimes you can hear uh, just, it's just not sewing cleanly. And, you're, and um, sometimes it'll, it'll be that the machine will just be skipping stitches every now and then, and you know, to change the needle. But if, if you, t I've heard, I've heard anything from uh, six hours of sewing, a needle should last to, you know, I change it every project. There's no hard and fast rule for when to change your needle. Unfortunately, I will say this though, it is cheaper to change a needle than to mess up your project. <laughs> so true. I also think what I was taking away from, from the not hard and fast rule there is uh, something you can definitely rely on is do it more frequently than you already do. <laughs> that seems like yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lady, uh, bless her heart. It was the sweetest thing. She, she came in and she was having problems with her, her machine wouldn't stitch. And uh, I asked her when was the last time she changed her needle. And she says, Oh no, my husband just, my husband just sharpens them for me. She was, <laughs> she was, uh, her husband was taking the, the needle out of her machine and, and actually taking it back and sharpening it. When she got it, when she got it to us, the, the tip had been, there was probably two, two millimeters missing off the tip where he'd been sharpening it. She'd been using the same needle for, I, I, I cringe to even think about how long she probably <laughs> used that needle. <laughs> That's but how cool weird. is that though? He was, he was, yeah. Isn't that awesome? What a, what a great guy, right? That's what we want. That's what everybody wants. Somebody willing to sharpen Heck your yeah. sewing machine needle. <laughs> also wish someone could invent like a system for the needles, kind of like toothbrush bristles when the color changes halfway <laughs> down and you know, you need to get a new toothbrush. If someone can come up with <laughs> a color, a color system for people like me who just need a little more help <laughs> in direction of when to do that. That is really smart, actually. Wow. I, I, um, well, yeah, I mean, because and, and, and they could do that, too, because, I mean, well, they've got these, uh, I'm sure you've seen titanium coatings and stuff like that. Right. Um, the, the titanium coated needles, um, they, they could easily do something like that. Although it's like, ah, because you want the titanium coating to last. Mm. It's, uh, that makes sense. Better at dispersing heat and it doesn't gum up and stuff like that. But if they use some sort of paint on theirs, I don't know. But that's a great idea to have a color system for the needle. Well, maybe there's an inventor listening. And if you make my idea, I just want like 20%. <laughs> no, honestly, 20%. Yeah. And then your shop will be the first shop to sell these machines Absolutely. or sell the, sell the needles. And, and if they do that, that will be the number one selling needle everywhere. So I think 20%, you'll be sure going to be doing pretty well. <laughs> 
So do you have any other advice um, for machine users, something you want to let them know, maybe a question you answer often or something you see happening a lot in your shop? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's kind of something that a lot of people don't think about. Uh, but if you pull the needle plate off of your machine and you look in between the feed dogs themselves, a lot of, a lot of time lint will build up in between those feed dogs and it won't allow the feed to come, the, the dogs to come all the way out of the plate. So if, you, if you're noticing that your machine's not feeding fabric like it used to you can look in between your feed dogs once you pull the plate off and and you'll pull out this wad of stuff um on a lot I mean, it just depends on how often you use it but that can actually keep the feed dogs from rising off all the way out of the plate uh, so that's definitely a place that most people don't look is in between the feed dogs when they're uh, when they're cleaning just cleaning more often just cleaning machines more often we do full factory tune-ups here so when, whenever you bring one in, we do, you know, we, we look at everything that they would look for in the factory when they were trying to resell it, basically. Some people offer what we call the blow and go, <laughs> you know, as a tune-up. <laughs> we pride ourselves in what we slow down and we take a very, uh, a very holistic look at the machine to make sure everything's good and recommend any sort of, um, you know, wear items and things like that. Awesome. So if someone is like a hobbyist sewer and they're sewing on the weekends, they're probably not sewing every day because they might have a full-time job. Right. Uh, but how often would you recommend someone to take their machine in and actually get that full tune-up? And then also uh, if you could give us like a range of price. So maybe people could compare um, to make sure that they're paying the right price for that. Right. Yeah. Um, so every manufacturer uh, in a home machine recommends you do it yearly. You take it to your local deal dealer and have that tune-up done yearly. Um, I've seen it range uh, from, you know, kind of the the, the the really small guys that all they have is the overhead for their, you know, um, for their little, you know, machine shop. And they, they, they can start 60, 70 bucks and go up from there. Ours, um, our factory tune-up start at 99 and go up. So it's kind of anywhere in that 70 to $130 range for a basic machine. You're, you're, you're doing, you're doing pretty good. As long as they're doing a good job, you know, you feel like it's better when it comes back. <laughs> now, awesome. That's a great uh, recommendation and a reminder because not something that I was aware <laughs> of and I've been sewing for quite a while. So <laughs> I think everyone that starts sewing needs to listen to this because <laughs> I've been going at it for 10 years and I don't want to tell you how many times I've changed my needle. <laughs> right. Right. And you're, you're amongst you have, you're amongst good company there. You know, you're the amount of people that don't bring their machine in uh, often enough. Um, there's a lot of people, but they, they're, they're happy with their machine. Still, you don't have to get it serviced every year if, if, as long as it's a good machine and you're keeping it clean. But if you want to extend the life of your machine, ultimately, you'd want to get it looked at more often. Absolutely. So we have a couple questions here at the end, just to, to wrap it up. We've used your time uh, fully already. Uh, so one thing that we debated, one thing I was asked last week, what is, <laughs> what is a lightweight fabric? What is a heavyweight fabric? So for us on our side, our, our lightest fabric that we carry right now is right in the 0.5 ounce range. And that goes up. Um, most popular fabrics mm -hmm. go up till the six ounce. We do have like a 13 ounce and there's a few more above the eight to 10 range, but that's in general where we are. Is that, is that synonymous with what most people see as light to heavyweight fabrics or do you see even a wider gap than that? No. Um, can you give me a comparison? <laughs> uh, what, what, what would I compare your 13 ounce, um, like your, your hot, your thickest fabric? What would I compare that to? Let's just say in, in terms of like, would it be like a canvas? Yeah, it'd be close. Our 13 ounce fabric is a moto denim by Dyneema uh, or with Dyneema. So it's a very thick just denim weave fabric. 
it depends on the you know how many layers how many layers you're sewing through um and it also depends on you know the machine some machines will laugh at that you know they're just going to just sew right through that no problem um other machines are going to struggle and so um but as far as like a home machine yeah that's a pretty good range i'd I'd say that's um that's what most people are going to run into and then this was a question from general manager carter here he just wanted to know he was excited to hear from you he just wanted to know what is what are some of the coolest features that you see in the shop right now? What are, what are coming out in sewing machines? What's just really intriguing that's coming out? Well, uh, like I said earlier, the, the, the projection technology where um, before you stitch, the machine will actually project the stitch onto the fabric in the exact size and position that you want it so that you can just kind of follow it as a guideline. Um, also, if you're making kind of mod- modifications, you're like, oh, I want to see what this stitch would look like if it was a triple stitch. And it was uh, four millimeters long versus two and a half. You can actually see and make those changes right on the fabric and, and see it before you stitch it. Uh, Brother is, is kind of. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really cool. Um, that's, uh, that's on the Brother uh, XP2 Luminaire. That is a really, really, really cool machine. So you have, yeah, you've you got anything from, you know, this built-in projection and cameras to, I mean, just something as simple as just a one-touch needle threader or um, uh, scissor button where you can, when you, when you finish your seam, you can touch one button and it'll actually trim your upper and lower thread for you without you having to pull the fabric out and manually trim it. So the built-in trimming feature is really cool. Seven point feed dogs, uh, diamond cut feed dog systems, built-in walking feet. Those are really cool. So if you're having problems with your, your later shifting, there's a lot of machines that'll actually have built-in uh, even feed systems. So instead of just feeding the fabric from the bottom, like most machines do, these actually have a system built in that mirrors the lower feed on top. So you've got two feed dogs pulling the layers evenly. Um, and so you, your, your, your seams and everything match up better. Your fabric doesn't, doesn't slide as much. Awesome. I think uh, my next question you might have actually just answered, but one question we get and have gotten a lot in the past week is about walking foot machines. So uh, my question was going to be, what is a walking foot machine good for? And then how does that differ from a walking foot attachment that they, where they sell the lead attachment, you can change out the foot and just change it to that walking foot. No, this is an awesome question. I love this one. So, um, because I, I sell a couple of machines, I sell multiple machines that have uh, even feed systems. So when you put a walking foot on a machine, the needle bar actually drives the mechanism. It's got a little arm that hangs off it and drives that mechanism. And what that does, it actually, it's, it's just a little, it looks just like a set of feed dogs, but all it does is it puts pressure down from the top, but the lower feed still drives everything. So it's like a floating feed dog that can apply pressure on top, right? But the lower feed still drives everything. And so when you put a walking foot on a machine, and, and um, for those of you that have done this, it, it, it turns your machine uh, from, a, from a sound level of 10 to like, you know, all the way up. <laughs> it, it turns it into, it sounds like a tractor. But what that's doing, it's, it's pressurized, it's helping, but it's, it's not as effective as when an engineer um, creates a system that uh, mirrors the exact movement of the lower feed and, and builds it into the top. So you've got two sets of feed dogs simultaneously pulling the top and bottom layers of fabric. And then what's cool is when they do that, then they keep, there's, there's modifiers. So you can modify how fast the top one is moving. So if you still, even with, a, with an upper feed system, still are having some issues where you had to ease in the top 
right, using the bottom fabric, you can modify it to slower speed, slow down or speed up that feed to, to be even more accurate. That is so wild. Does that answer the question? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's a great answer to the question because one of the things obviously is like a walking foot machine. Obviously, you're the guy to answer this. Um, they're pretty pricey and obviously a few more hundred maybe than a regular machine that you can add that walking foot attachment to. Right. Yeah. You can find walking feet on Amazon for $19, $20 or something like that, you know, um, and that you can bolt right onto a low shank or a high shank machine. But yeah, to get a machine that has got a built in upper feed system is expensive. Is, is, it is expensive. Not so bad if you, if you go commercial and you just do like a, like a walking foot from uh, Juki or Conso or, or like one of the, one of the more industrial companies. But if you want something that's like more in the home market with that built-in, that built-in even feed or that built-in feed system, it can be really pricey. Worth it though. I don't want to say it's not worth it. it it's definitely worth it. Uh, <laughs> you should totally come by and check it out. <laughs> to that end, Aaron, Avery and I have, we, we're building this, this fun list of people that we need to go visit. We, I mean, we get to talk about or talk to some of the coolest people in the industry from people in Colorado and Idaho. And I think uh, we have to add you to this list, but you might be the most likely person seeing as you're just a couple miles away for us. So we're going to have to come to Capital Sewing Quilt. Seriously, come on by. We'll bring you some, some of our fabrics so you can see those as well. But Aaron, for people that are listening, um, where can they find you and what information do you want to share with them to know about Capital Sewing Quilt? Yeah, um, so we're on Facebook, uh, just uh, Facebook, uh, Capital Sewing Quilt, um, uh, CapitalSewingQuilt.com. Uh, we're we're in the process of uh, you know uh, expanding our online uh, business so that we um, can can bring some of our machines to uh, to sell online. So uh, yeah, we're we're here in Cary, 107 Edinburgh South Drive, Suite 111. Yeah, that's definitely come see us if you're in the area. Awesome. Aaron, thank you so much for your time today. It has been fantastic to talk to you. I've learned a lot and I think everybody else listening can say they've learned a lot as well. Um, yeah, we're really appreciative that you spent this time with us. Thank you. Oh, good. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. Fantastic. Well, Aaron, we'll talk to you soon. Hopefully we'll see you soon. Have a good one. 